I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. Ask the Coaches podcast. Today we're doing another one of the Ask the Coaches podcast where we ask the audience on social media, on Instagram this morning, what sort of questions you guys are having and we would just answer them in the podcast format. So we have three questions we're going to be addressing today and going into more detail and depth. And these are questions that we have heard all the time as coaches. And so they're things that maybe have come up for you in your own training. And I know they're definitely things that in my early years of being a runner, I had questions about these topics as well. And we are just going to go over what the three questions are before we do a dive into going through each one individually. So the first question is, is it better to run your easy runs based on heart rate or pace? So there's a lot of talk out there about heart rate training. And so we're going to do a deep dive into how you can really um, do heart rate training the correct way and how sometimes there are some factors involved with heart rate training that people maybe get wrong and then it leads to frustration. So we're going to talk a little bit about heart rate training. And then we're also going to talk about how you can calculate the proper pace zones for your easy runs and what that may look like. And so we're going to talk about utilizing both factors and we'll maybe talk about why one might be better than the other and why there's also room for both. And there's also room for that perceived effort of exertion as well within there. The next question is, what are some running form tips? So I know this is a very common question. And when we first launched Run for PRs, we are an online run coaching business. And one of the first questions was, well, how are you going to coach me if you can't see my running form? And luckily, there's a lot of technology out there, such as taking videos of yourself or even just looking at race photos. You can really tell pretty quickly what some of the weak spots are in your running form and give cues to athletes as to ways that they can improve um, and work on those weak points. But we're gonna talk a little bit about how you don't have to have perfect running form, but there are some um, tips that you can do and some easy tweaks that you can incorporate into your training to really improve your running form. And then the third question is, do you need to run a certain distance or a certain time in order to see benefits? Um, i.e. running for at least 50 minutes, the question was. Um, And so we're going to talk a little bit about some research and we're going to link in the show notes um, a research article that we found in doing this. And we're going to talk a little bit about where that sweet spot is for building endurance and maybe what, um, 
how if you go over a certain point so if you run for more than three hours it actually increases that risk of injury and it doesn't really see a ton of additional benefits after that point so these are the three questions we're going to be talking about so i guess we'll kick it off with the first question is it better to run easy based on heart rate or pace and why so i'd like to get this question off by asking jason what you think about running based off heart rate or pace or even effort perceived effort of exertion yeah it's a great topic you know we often have a lot of descriptions with our runs in training peaks that's the app that we use for um for coaching our athletes and so you'll often see um, the effort-based scale in there and then some guidelines that are very general for like heart rate. And typically one of our rule of thumbs is like keeping your heart rate below 155 beats per minute, sort of just a ballpark range for most adults. Um, If we're higher than that, for a lot of people, you might be working too hard, not for all people. Um, But for, for myself, for example, I know if my heart rate's higher than that, I'm probably turning it into more of like a tempo run. And so, um, you know, for some people, they can get by running, keeping the heart rate down in the 130s. Um, other people, maybe it's like 160 for their easy runs. And so it does vary a lot from person to person. And that's why we want to um, provide other guidelines like the effort scale. And so for an easy run, typically we want it no higher than a five out of 10 um, when we think about um, how difficult the run is. So I like I like athletes when they rate their easy runs like a three or four. Um, that's, that's great. So um, I know that, you know, this brings up a lot of conversation about like wrist heart rate versus, um, the chest strap as well. And so for my, my own experiences, I've noticed that the wrist heart rate sometimes isn't as accurate, especially for races. Um, I've done races where the heart rate tells me that I didn't get above 160, and I know that's false, right? Because I, I know I emptied the tank. I know I was tired. And so I think it just kind of depends on your, um, the level of use for the heart rate and then also the consistent readings that you're getting. Yeah, you covered a lot of stuff there. And I think um, just that wrist heart rate monitor is really important to understand. So if we're going to be doing heart rate training, like let's just say you're someone who really wants to try training only by heart rate or really using that as your guide, you're going to need to get an accurate measure of your heart rate. And the wrist heart rate monitor, Garmin even states um, that it's like it has like a 10% um, fluctuation of accuracy. So when you're training by heart rate, the accuracy is extremely important. You need to be very, very precise within like a few beats per minute if you're going 100% off of that. Um, and that's where things can get a little dicey. And I know how you mentioned earlier in Training Peaks, we do put three descriptions into our easy easy running days, right? So we are a coaching company that goes mainly based off of VDOT paces. And so we're going to be focusing more on your pace. So we have specific paces for you that are calculated based on your time trial and your current VDOT fitness. And that's really where we're going to be honing in and focusing on. It's also good to understand like ballpark where your heart rate should be, like maybe no higher than that 150, 155 number. But again, that's gonna really vary from person to person. And so it's very, very important to make sure that if you are going to be training 100% based off heart rate, or if you're gonna use that as your number one metric, that you have accurate data. And so what that's gonna look like is making sure that you're getting an accurate max heart rate read. So there are some tests that you can do to calculate what your actual max heart rate is. So the old 220 minus your age is completely not an accurate way to figure out what your max heart rate is, right? So even myself, for example, if I do 220 minus my age, um, that would be 190. And I've seen my heart rate get to like in the 200s before. So it's really important to understand that that's kind of just like 
a ballpark range. It's not accurate. And so if you're going to be doing your training based off heart rate, it's really important to get that max heart rate tested and make sure you're getting something that's really accurate. So maybe doing more than one test, um, make sure that you're really getting the right read on that. Because if you are using a max heart rate that isn't your actual max heart rate, you're going to end up really, really frustrated because you're gonna be trying to stay in these low heart rate zones that were calculated based on a false max. And so you really wanna make sure that that max heart rate is correct. Um, and then another thing that's really important is making sure you're having the right technology. So we cannot go off of the wrist heart rate monitor because they do have that 10% um, fluctuation rate. We want to make sure we're getting a chest strap so we have the right technology in place to measure that heart rate. Yeah, I like how you mentioned that. Some days I noticed that you know, maybe your, your watch wasn't as tight as it was the previous day. And so that's, that can cause the fluctuation. But um, you brought up some good points about like the, the test, right? To measure your max heart rate. And I, for me, I've done one or two of those tests over the years on the treadmill where, you know, I do the VO2 max test. So I'm pretty much running to exhaustion to try to measure, you know, the highest um, that my heart rate can go. And so um, the thing with, with getting those paces prescribing those like percentages for heart rate is that a lot of times when we go back outside to do our workouts, you know, it's, it's maybe a little bit different. We have different factors that come to play here. And so um, if you're only relying on the heart rate, sometimes your, your pace might be different depending on the day. And so there's a lot of things that, that affect heart rate on a daily basis, like caffeine or stress level or your sleep and recovery and all of that. And so I think that it's good to, you know, maybe look at it, use it as sort of a gauge, but I think it's best to, yeah, like you said, train off a of pace, train off of effort. Those are kind of my first lines of defense. Right. So heart rate is something that it's not only going to be impacted by your running, right? So it's not like it's happening in, in a vacuum. And I think when we're thinking about running paces, that's something that only happens when you're running, right? So it's very, very specific to running. Um, and your pace is going to vary from day to day, right? I mean, that's why you get an easy pace range. You're going to want to also look at how you're feeling, um, maybe looking at your heart rate. But the thing that's always been difficult for me when it comes to heart rate training and why we typically don't prescribe based on that is because there's a lot of things that can impact your heart rate that are outside of the scope of running. So how much caffeine you're consuming, your stress level, how your recovery is looking, how your sleep looked the night before or the few days leading up to this um, easy run, how your nutrition is, um, if there's any sort of medications that you're taking or even the time of the month, if you're a female and you get your cycle, the time of the month can influence what your heart rate is on an easy run. So that's really challenging when you are dealing with trying to keep your heart rate in a certain zone and some days you feel like you're barely even putting forth any effort but your heart rate is um, a little bit higher than the zone that you're trying to stay in so if you're trying to stay in zone two and you're barely moving and you're having to like take walk breaks or a lot of people will tell me well i have to walk to keep my heart rate that low and you know there's a time and place where some people it does make sense to do walking as um, the aerobic base for building into more running but sometimes it's just the fact that staring down at that heart rate during a run if you're someone that's really anxious and it's stressing you out can cause the heart rate reading to be even higher and i know um, this isn't super common but the white coat syndrome is something that definitely is real right so sometimes when you go into the doctor's office um, they'll be like higher than normal blood pressure readings for some people who experience anxiety in that setting. 
Um, it's not super common, but again, the same could be true for on a run. Maybe like there's that five, 10% of the population where you're staring at that heart rate and it's causing an increase in your heart rate, right? So it's just kind of like this merry-go-round. And that's why sometimes we like to maybe focus more on pace or how you're feeling rather than like, oh, I have to stay in the zone between like 140 and like 148 or, or else, right? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, if you rely too much on one of these factors, like only effort or only heart rate or only pace, then you're, you're kind of probably not, you're neglecting, you know, the other pieces of the puzzle. And so your training might not be maximized for you. So I think it's best to, you know, kind of look at all three as a sort of how they fit together. Um, for me, I probably look at heart rate the least, I would say, of the three. I'm always dialed into like my, my effort first and then pace becomes second. But, you know, each athlete's different. I think it just comes down to, you know, how into the technology you are. Um, you know, you mentioned those zones and I know that, you know, triathletes a lot of times have different zones for their, their riding as well. And it might differ based on like wind and elevation, especially if they choose mm -hmm. like a hillier route. And so obviously that's going to affect your heart rate right off the bat. So, you know, that's why I think it's better to, you know, use those other factors as well. Right. And then if you're moving into only heart rate based running, um, I think another thing that can kind of be wonky for people is like you were mentioning how there's triathletes that try to train based off heart rate. So if you go into doing heart rate training during a workout and you're running at your, thresh your threshold pace zone, but your heart rate isn't like in zone four or whatever, people might think, oh, I can go even faster and try to like elevate the heart rate even more. But if you're getting into like a race effort during a workout, that's where things can get a little bit dicey. And so we do like to go more off of running paces for that reason. We don't want to be like racing workouts just because we aren't hitting, you know, like a certain zone, um, heart rate for threshold, uh, those sort of things. I mean, technically you should be in your threshold zone if you're doing a threshold workout, but sometimes the technology for whatever reason, it's not 100% accurate if you're using that wrist monitor, or it could be the fact that you're like really in the zone, you're super relaxed, and maybe your heart rate just didn't didn't get as high for whatever reason that day. Um, so I think pace is typically what you're gonna see most um, coaches go off of just because it is really specific to running. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned triathletes training with heart rate, and most of them it's tied to their, their power. You know, that's a separate kind of technological reading um, where they want to be in certain zones based on their power and that that factors in like the wind and elevation and you know there is that that does exist now with running and I've I've had a little bit of experience running with like a stride power meter that you put on your shoe I um, mean it can be very difficult to you know when I think about heart rate you want to keep it constant right throughout your run that's the goal so if you run based on power that kind of gives you an idea of like how your effort is changing throughout the run especially mm -hmm. if you're running into the wind or up a hill and i've done a few runs where like you can set your garmin to vibrate notify you if you run outside of a certain zone right power wise so um and it's very difficult to do to keep it super stable and consistent right. and so it just kind of it's eye-opening when you think about how that equates to our the little fluctuations that are going to occur with our heart rate while we're running um it's very difficult, um, but we definitely want to assess that effort and let that kind of guide where the heart rate should fall. Yeah, and then I think that's that's really interesting because heart rate is kind of giving that perspective into like what's going on in the body. But what's interesting about that is if you don't have access to your heart rate data for whatever reason, or if you didn't have access to like a pace data, your body is always sending you signals, right? So that perceived effort of exertion, I think is super important. And sometimes if we're 
really chiming too much into like what pace am I running? What's my heart rate right now? We're really tuning into the stats and the data that outside sources are giving us and we're not tuning into like how is my body feeling? Um, what do I feel right now? And I think one of the things that is really beneficial for runners is when we can start to look inward and ask ourselves like, how am I feeling? How is this pace feeling? Am I going to be feeling recovered from my workout in two days? What do I need to do today to feel good tomorrow? And those sort of questions. Um, and I think the perceived effort of exertion, I mean, it wasn't even asked in this question. I just think it's really undervalued. But if you're someone who can start to incorporate that and utilize that into your day-to-day training, I think what most runners will find is that it's more beneficial than any of these other things because you're going to be able to be in tune with how your body's feeling and making those small adjustments on the fly based on how you're feeling can be the thing that really takes your training and your racing to another level because like you were saying, in a race environment, you know, you go up a hill or there's wind in your face and those sort of things. Um, if you're able to assess like how you're feeling in all mm-hmm. of those different circumstances when they're facing you, um, you can adjust on the fly based on how you're feeling rather than having to like get the data later based on, oh, okay, like four minutes ago, I must've been working harder because now my heart rate right. is higher and that, those sort of things. Yeah, it's a great point. Cause it, you know, if you know where your heart rate should be in these zones, that's one thing, but knowing kind of how to either press down or hold back on the effort that I think can help, you know, even more so knowing that. And so I always give, you know, the, the scale of one to 10 for uh, uh, perceived effort. And then, um, you know, easy running should always be like a five or below. And then kind of like a steady tempo might be a six to a seven, you know, threshold might be anywhere from seven to eight and a half. And so it's kind of just, you know, knowing how to run off effort. And I think over time, that's going to help you get more like consistent with your pace and with getting more consistent, like heart rate readings. Yeah, definitely. So I think going off of pace first having the zones knowing what your range should be so that's like the first thing so you don't have to like go at exactly the same pace right it's just really good to know what is an acceptable range or what is the speed limit so as long as you have like that upper speed limit okay i cannot go any faster than two and a half minutes per mile faster than 5k pace on my easy days or whatever it may be that's like your speed limit then the next thing you need to do is kind of tune in your body like how is my body feeling how does this pace feel today And what can help pair that at the beginning maybe is looking at what, okay, what is my heart rate too? Like, is my heart rate through the roof right now? Um, Is it close to zone two or is it like, you know, being in zone five or something on an easy run? And sometimes those things, if your heart rate is super elevated and maybe you've never really looked at that before, it could just be a sign that maybe you're not recovering as well as you thought you were. Um, or maybe you're just like not slowing down as much as you thought you should be. So maybe just taking it even slower, slowing down even more, um, and just experimenting with things. Cause these are all just data points and they give us information. So the next question is what are some running form tips? So running form typically varies a bit from person to person with time and practice running economy or how efficient you are with your running. It tends to just improve with that practice. 
Um, your body will want to naturally utilize as little energy as possible when you're running. And naturally over time, as you run more, you get more experience and you adapt to better running form. Typically, that's usually what happens just because your body wants to be as efficient as possible. However, there are sometimes um, certain people or most people, I should say, they have these small running tendencies that do waste energy and sometimes they just stick around because of like muscle memory. So if you're doing something with really bad form over and over and over, um, sometimes it can just stick that way, right? And they don't naturally like work their way out. Um, and so we're gonna talk about some of the common running tweaks that you can make that will make you maybe more efficient and waste less energy, right? And these are things you can like focus on on your easy runs and just give yourself like mental um, cues. Yeah, I mean, the, to start with um, drills you can implement like on a daily basis or at least like on your workout days, that would be my first advice. So, you know, we have a few on our on our website you can find, but you know, typically A skips, B skips, there's, um, you know, butt, high knees, butt kicks, there's quite a few of them. And so just really narrowing down on maybe like five or six to do during a warm up could be a good start and then strides. Strides are always a good thing to practice. Um, you know, running, you wanna run tall and efficient and fast. And so we wanna kinda of see what naturally our body has a tendency to do when we pick up the pace. Um, but I would definitely recommend, um, you know, videotaping yourself or having yeah. someone videotape you, not just from like the front angle, but also the back angle. I think that's very beneficial. Uh, maybe even the side angle too, just so you can kinda of see um, across all planes, like what your body is doing. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, with strength training, I think that's something that weightlifters do regularly is like film themselves because they want to know, do I have really bad form when I'm doing this? Just because the risk for injury when you're lifting really heavy is, is pretty high and form is really valued in strength training where I think a lot of runners maybe aren't 100% sure what they look like when they're running. And so just, you know, this is a good time of year to do it. If you're on the treadmill, maybe setting up your camera, just seeing what, what am I, what do I look like? Um, and just getting like a feel for, okay, wow. And sometimes we can even self-assess and we can see where our weak spots are. Cause over the years coaching people, I've been asked, Oh, can, can I send you a video? And, and I, um, assess their form, just give some quick tips. And sometimes people will, they'll be the ones that will tell me what they see in the video. And they're like, Oh, I see this and I see that. And so I think that's a really good starting point is just to see how you look in that initial video. And then maybe seeing if you can self-correct and say, oh, you know, like I see my arm swing is like really bad. I'm like punching myself in the face. Let me see if I can, you know, make it more in control and lower it, maybe take another video. And then you can start to realize, okay, what that feels like and what it looks like on the video and pair those two things together. Yeah, definitely. When I mentioned planes across different planes of the body, you know, so if we look at just like the upper plane, so our, our arms, right? So arm swing is a very common one. A lot of times people might have their arms up too high or they're mm -hmm. bringing their hands up too high. Um, but, you know, a lot of this comes down to like comfort. Like I ran with a few guys in college who ran with their arms like abnormally low, right? But that kind of worked mm -hmm. for them. So I think it's about making sure, um, you know, if you divide the body in half from right to left, that's a sagittal plane. If it's efficient on one side versus the other, I think that's very important, you know, making sure that they kind of uh, have symmetry. So mm. you mentioned crossing the, like the, the chest. That's a common thing that we see with runners. Um, maybe like the arm swing goes across the chest. And so that's something we don't want to see. Right. So I think, yeah, first looking at the arms and then we can start to look at the legs. Um, I've seen runners who maybe lift one leg up further in the back or one leg kind of kicks out to the side. Mm. And so those are kind of examples to look, look be, be on a lookout for. A lot of times that can just be a result of like, um, 
you know, a sleepy leg, for example, like maybe you're just not as strong on that one side of the mm-hmm. leg. And so like glutes, hammies, you know, kind of thinking about what, how can you strengthen those areas? Right. Some of the things like um, the arm swing crossing, that's something that you can really like mentally say to yourself, like, okay, stop, stop doing that. Um, and, and have that as a cue. And I'm someone that has a horrible like arm swing across um, my chest and stuff and it's just something that like I always have to be aware of and always kind of be looking at even like on an easy run day I'll be like oh yeah you're doing it again like they shouldn't really be like swinging they shouldn't be like swinging across like to the other side um and I know one of the cues I've been told before is like pretend you're picking apples or like picking cherries and putting them in um like a basket like right in front of you and so you're just Mm -hmm. moving your arms up and down up and down um almost like you're like milking a cow too i guess now that i'm doing (laughs) the motion um but you're not supposed to be like crossing them in front of you because if you're crossing um like your right arm over to your left and your left to your right think about when you're running you want to be moving forward right so if you're doing all this like left to right energy you're like kind of wasting the energy and the energy should be going forward um so that's just something you can look at if you see like race photos where you're like crossing um your arm in front and so for people who follow me I'm sure you could like look at some of my race photos and you'll maybe see like that my arm's kind of crossing over in front and these are things that you would see maybe on a video or in some of your race pictures um other things like you were saying more in the legs i think that's something that can be really related to strength training Mm -hmm. i know in the past i had like a a hip drop and that can be just a result of like really weak glutes yeah you know you brought up a good point about the the tip that you you mentioned it kind of brought me back to like being in high school and college when we would do drills on a normal basis and there's a reason coaches have their athletes do drills number one they get they get to you know observe you know everyone's form but number two it's like you said it's to be mindful of certain things and so i think the old tip for us was like grab a chip bring it to the mouth that's kind of <laughs> like that's kind of like what we used to think about and um and you brought up the race photos too and that made me think of like as the race goes on a lot of times our form starts to get a little bit like sloppier or weaker right because we're just in survival mode but the more you practice these things and that you're mindful of them and especially the more you strength train for your lower legs right it's going to self-correct over time and hopefully your body's going to you know just continue on running efficiently and that's really what we want is we don't want our form to break down Mm -hmm. you know when you watch a marathon for example you see a lot of times if you turn it on you and there's still a pack of runners at mile 20 you can't really tell like where they're at in the race like they they still look like they're moving right so they look the same um but that's not the same you know that can't be said for a lot of us main you know adult runners who are just out there hobby joggers i guess you if you want to call yourself that but um, yeah, I think it really just depends on the athlete. And then the other thing is like Kenyan runners have this tendency to lean forward a bit more. I've noticed mm-hmm. a lot of times and for, that works for them, right? They're used, like it's, that's the way they were built to run that way. And they're just super efficient. And a lot of them are lightweight as well, so they can get away with that. So I think it's just, it's about kind of the way your body learns to run as a kid. And, you know, sometimes if you're in certain sports growing up, that can have an influence too on the way you, the way you ran the way you run now yeah definitely a forward lean is always good kind of looking ahead I know sometimes towards the end of a race people can can start looking down or you know like their shoulders kind of get inward and they Mm -hmm. just start slouching Um, and those are some things you can also say to yourself is like okay like have to remember to have like good posture um, engage the core you know head up 
tall, look forward, those sort of things. Um, and even like running uphill, I know that can be one of the times where it's really good to do like a form check, like making sure we're running strong and having good form up a hill. Otherwise, sometimes it's just we have this defeated um, form. And sometimes when we kind of like slouch and start giving up on our form, our pace starts to kind of plummet. So if we can like reassess and just do like a little surge or a stride, um, that can kind of help us get back into that good running form and just know that not everyone is going to have, you know, perfect running form. Um, I know sometimes we can really like be our own biggest critics. Like if I ever see a video or a picture of me mm-hmm. running, even though my form's like, you know, decent, it's still like, oh gosh, what? Like that's what I look like when I'm running. But um, I think over time you just start to know like where your weak spots are and it's really good to be like self-aware so that you can work on what those weaknesses are to become stronger over time. And I thought of another mental tip too, and you mentioned kind of the hip drop and not not engaging your glutes. So one trick there is to kind of just focus on firing your glutes with each stride and then trying to maybe um, kind of focus on the knee lift a little bit more. And I think that can help. Um, you know, even Prefontaine, I remember in the, in the movie, the coach would tell him, he was surprised that he would run with his butt sticking out. So he wanted him to tuck his pelvis in a little bit more. And so that's just like an example of, it's common for runners to do that. But um, I think the more we can be mindful of trying to run, you know, run up more upright and stay strong, mm-hmm. but relax at the same time, then that's, that's going to suit us, you know, better. Right. And to go with like the glute stuff and a lot of the lower leg, um, what you're going to find works best for that is making sure that you're doing strength training. I mean, strength training is something that's often overlooked by runners because they think, oh, I'm just going to run. There's no point in doing strength training. But if you can have a strength training regimen that really complements your running by building that glute strength, building all of the weak areas that a lot of runners typically have, it can really help with your form. And so I think sometimes that's really overlooked, but it's something that can really, really be beneficial for your form, especially as the miles go on into the later miles of the race, um, the stronger you are, it's going to be easier for you to like hold your body in that upright um, position and being really strong. And I know, you know, core work that helps with posture, right? And um, obviously doing stuff with like the glute that can help your glutes stay engaged for longer. And there's just so many benefits there with strength training and seeing that form improvement. Yeah, and you don't always you don't always have to start with weights right away either. Mm-hmm. Like I've been to PT a number of times where I can tell I'm getting stronger just from doing the exercises they prescribe, which are body weight only. Right. So you know, glute bridges, single leg deadlifts, like these are these are good, effective exercises that if if you're only able to kind of allocate ten or fifteen minutes for strength, you know, start there and see how see how that um, you know supports your running, see how you feel. And so it doesn't need, doesn't necessarily mean you got to go to the gym and carve out 45 minutes to an hour and, you know, go around all the various weight machines, you know? Yeah. And then I guess diving into the third question, do you need to run a certain distance or a certain amount of time in order to see benefits? For example, at least 50 minutes. Um, so yes, actually research has shown that the sweet spot for really building your aerobic system and endurance is between 60 to 90 minutes. And we will link a research article um, in the show notes that kind of goes over that. Um, So if you're training for longer distance races, these longer runs become important. So the runs between 60 and 90 minutes when I'm referring to longer runs. Um, Endurance is really built on these runs. Um, Just on a cellular level, you are going to develop increase in capillary networks from the lungs to the leg muscles. 
and it's just a more efficient way that you can transport oxygen more efficiently. Yeah, and you know, when when we hear this number, it doesn't mean all your runs need to be in no. this range, right? So, you know, for example, if you're kind of new to running, you know, <laughs> you're obviously gonna always assess where you're at and slowly build up, right? And you mentioned the long run for a lot of like beginner runners or runners that maybe just run shorter races, like 5K, 10K, they haven't really explored the half marathon, marathon distance much yet you know, the 60 minute threshold might be something they don't even push through until they've been running for a few months or whatnot, right? So it's sort of like this building, this progression of building your minutes um, over time. And so you might start with one run over that, that duration every, every week or every other week, and then, um, you know, build from there. And I know like you're, you're at a point, for example, where pretty much all your runs are over 60 minutes, unless you're doing your one or occasionally two like shorter runs each week. So you might just run like five miles instead of your average like eight for example so i think you know but you've been running for many many years you've right. kind of built up you've you've sort of added more of these runs over the course of like each week each year and so now you're at a point where yeah you're running this distance almost you know almost daily um and so it's definitely something that um there's still benefits to going out and running shorter distance but once you reach a certain level like you know if you if you just started running four or five miles every day now yeah you you'd not be in as good a shape right so um, to get those benefits, those aerobic benefits, you need to be able to, um, you know, run for longer periods of time. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's really important to note that, like you said, the first couple of years you're really in a running, even just doing one single 60 minute run in a week, that's like a massive accomplishment, right? So I can think back to like 10 years ago, the first time someone told me to run for 60 minutes at a time, I didn't even know how I was going to be able to finish. And like afterwards I was like destroyed pretty much for several days after. So it's all about like building there progressively. And so while we're saying like 60 to 90 minutes is like the sweet spot, I think what we really need to focus on is like, where are you at currently, right? So if you're only running like 20 to 30 minutes, like two to three times a week, that definitely does not mean, okay, now you need to like step it up to 60 minutes. You really need to use the progressive overload principle whenever we're talking anything running, right? right. Um, and so maybe you're someone where you're like, shoot, actually, you know, I run five days a week, but all my runs are like between, 35 to 50 minutes well how how am I gonna adjust my training now to maybe be more in line with that because if you're doing 35 to 50 minute runs you know maybe you're doing that's probably like 35 miles a week that's like a pretty pretty substantial mileage there Um, but what we're gonna really need to do is maybe look at how you're structuring your week right so if you're running 35 or 30 let's say you're running 30 miles a week one of those runs maybe is gonna be like a 90 minute run and then maybe you're gonna do some like 30 minute runs, like just easy recovery. And then maybe you're gonna do like a 60 minute run somewhere during the week. And that's really what we would aim to focus on is like, how can we get to just doing one, you know, 60 minute run a week if you don't have any currently? And then maybe how can we get to like two over time progressively building there? And even just having two per week, I think that is like really really good and i think that's a really good starting point for a lot of people um sometimes during marathon training people will maybe build up to like three a week but i do think um just depending on like the time commitment and like where someone's sweet spot mileage is i don't really know if it's necessarily like you know ideal for someone to do more than three a week unless you're really like trying to reach um like a high level with your training or you've been running for like decades right um Mm -hmm. so it's all about starting where you're at and then just knowing your body. And there are, of course, benefits to running, you know, even 10 minutes, right? There's benefits to all running, but they say like the sweet spot in terms of 
building endurance. So if you're someone who's running for like 55 minutes every single day, maybe it's time to, hey, let's make some adjustments. We could actually do one 65 minute run, 175 and 190, and then the rest like shorter so that you're really getting that sweet spot built in there. Yeah, a lot of good points. You know, if you're someone that's running several of these runs each week, you're obviously training at higher volume, higher mileage. That's going to result in more miles each week, um, which will also probably mean that you're getting um, longer workouts in, right? So if you're training, mm-hmm. let's say you're doing about 20% of your mileage is quality session. So you're either doing tempo or speed work or something like that. You know, your, your segments are going to be longer or you're going to be doing more of them. So instead of like four by 400, you might be doing eight or 10 or 12 by 400. Um, Instead of doing like two by a mile or three by a mile, you might be doing like five or six by a mile, just to give you an example. So um, because you're running more and your body's able to handle it because you've built up this progression over time, you know, you're also getting um, more work in terms of like uh, the quality session. And so your your fitness is really, you're, you're able to maximize your fitness over time because you're getting more challenging workouts in that are lasting longer. So you're spending more time in this, you know, uncomfortable zone, for example. And so I think that's really the, the key is like this goes hand in hand with like doing the work you know it's not just going out and running the easy miles granted that can also get you in really good shape too if you're able to just mm-hmm. you know go out and do that or you have a history of being like a fairly um you know high level runner and you take some time off you get back to it you can get back to a pretty high level of fitness just by running easy you know if you're just putting in the miles um and that's kind of why high school programs college programs they just want their kids running in mm-hmm. the summer like they don't you know and they're probably gonna have like one long run a week over 60 minutes and then maybe like one or two depending on the level of the athlete, obviously, maybe one other medium long run during the middle of the week. So, and then it's pretty much easy mileage throughout the course of the summer, just to kind of build that base. Yeah, definitely. And then going over 90 minutes for your long run, I think that's something that really we should reserve for if we're training for races that are longer in distance and that are going to be longer than 90 minutes, just because you start to dip into like your glycogen storages. And when you're doing that, it's a little bit more stressful on the body. It's a longer recovery period and those sort of things. So it might be more beneficial to do some runs capping on at 90 minutes versus going all the way to, you know, an hour 45 or hour 50. So just being aware that different physiological things happen at different points during the long runs is is key. And I know Jack Daniels, he always says your longest run should be whatever comes first, two and a half hours or, you know, 20 miles. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's kind of famous for saying that, but you know, most people don't want to follow that kind of rule because two and a half hours, I mean, if you're going a 10 minute pace, that's 15 miles. And most people just don't feel comfortable going 15 miles as their longest run before a marathon. But physiologically, you know, he's a exercise physiologist. And so he, you know, did studies and research showing that like, you don't get a ton more benefit going over two and a half hours. But what does happen is that you're really increasing your risk for um, injuries. Yeah, big time. And you know, I, I've had an athlete example recently who's training for their first marathon and she saw on the schedule the longest run I had was a 19 miler. Mm-hmm. Well, that 19 miler is going to take her like three and a half hours. So right. we're kind of breaking the rules already by pushing her that far. But I know, you know, she's done 17 and she needs to do it, I think, more for like the mental, mental. sake. Um, but she came to me with, with um, sort of a concern. She said, well, a lot of my training group, they're going to run 220 miles to prep for this marathon. Mm-hmm. And I asked her a few follow-up questions. I said, well, um, tell me a little bit about these runners. Like, is it their first marathon and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. she, you know, it turned out that many of them had done marathons like many, many times. And right. so they feel best when they prepare that way. And I said, well, this is why we don't want to always compare, um, you know, the type of runner because we're all on, on a different path, right? 
and she's a lot younger than a lot of these people too. So it's mm-hmm. like we don't want to just go out there and do what they're doing because they have experience like running this distance. They've put their body through this many, many times. And you know, my goal is to help her get to the start line feeling health, healthy and confident. To me, that's more important. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's just, it's, you know, anytime we're going over 90 minutes, we want to just be really methodical about the structure of what that's going to look like. Right. And just to piggyback off of that, so some of these running groups, it can be nice to run with people and it's great, but it's some of it's like self, self-selecting. self And I know in the past when I've gone to running groups, it'll be like, okay, here's like all the 330 marathoners are faster over here and you guys go run. And, you know, if you're like a 330 to 315 marathoner, I would think that your long run would be in like the eight to like nine minute pace range. I mean, at, a, at mm-hmm. like a maximum. Um, but a lot of them, it would be like, okay, we're going 730 pace. And the people you're running with, sometimes that's like faster than their marathon pace. And you end up like racing these long runs. You get to the end, you're like exhausted. Um, and just there's some level of that that happens in run groups. So I think it's really important to kind of take those things into consideration. And then, yeah, another run group that I was a part of, I think they would put on the schedule, okay, we're going to do like 22 to 24 miles. And then if you're also self-selected, like with your little pace group, you can get a little bit competitive and think, well, you know, if so-and-so is doing 24 miles, maybe I should too. Um, And then you end up doing like 24 miles and you're going like a marathon pace. And then it's like, there goes your marathon, right? So if you're ever in a situation where you are doing more than like 13 miles at a time at your marathon pace, really start questioning um, if you are in the right, you know, training group for yourself because I was someone who did leave one of my marathons in a, uh, it was like a 22 mile long run just because I let the competitive side of me kind of come out and I was just doing what other people around me were doing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right thing to do, right? So I did like 22 miles at 7.39 pace or something. And then on marathon day, I think I did 26.2 miles at like 7.50 pace. So I went slower and this was several years ago. But the other people who also did the same thing, they all ran slower in their marathon than they did in this train run. And so it's just like, I feel like I beat a dead horse when I say like, you don't need to run, you know, your long runs at a fast pace and you don't need to you know, do what other people are doing. But I think it's super important just to be aware of that. And my best marathon that I recently ran at Boston was 311. All of my long runs, except for one, was like 8.45 to 9 minute pace range. And I ran with one of my friends who was like 20 weeks pregnant at the time. So we took it like really slow, um, at least, you know, for me. But you can still end up running a really fast marathon time with, you know, these slower long runs that are like two minutes per mile slower than your marathon pace. Yeah, wow. A lot of great examples of like why you don't want to, you know, compare yourself to other people. And, you know, when you show up to some of those group runs, like, yeah, I've been guilty of doing that before, too. It's like, you know, you might have ran a certain time, but maybe it was years ago. And yeah, Mm -hmm. this person just ran this time recently. And so you decide to run with them, but you're not in that fitness shape quite yet. And so you're just like pushing it a little too hard, harder than you should. And so there's and, and then the other thing is too, like my athlete example I gave a little while ago, you know, we don't know what other people's like week to week runs look like. Like yep. they might not be doing any workouts because it might take them so long to recover from these yep. 20 mile runs, but she's getting quality sessions in where I know we're working on threshold, marathon pace work, occasional speed work. And so I think that, you know, we're, we're looking at it from like the big picture perspective. We're not just overly focused on this, like one or two training runs. Right. That's a really good point. So yeah, you don't always know what everyone's training is looking like. And 
your training is a compilation of like the whole week and everything. So I love this question because it really asks like, what is a certain distance or time to see benefits? And you're going to see benefits from all of your runs, right? So you're a compilation of the entire picture. And so there isn't just like one run you can just throw out every week and just be like, well, that one doesn't matter. Um, so I love the question, like where it's coming from, from like a scientific perspective, like really wondering like what, okay, how should I like really reframe or reprioritize maybe some of these runs? But we also don't want to get into that mindset of like, okay, I'm only going to run 60 minute runs or I'm just not going to run at all. (laughs) And you don't want to have like that black or white thinking because there are huge benefits to doing even, like I said, like a 10, 20, 30 minute run. Um, and so we don't want to just like ax out other runs just because they aren't hitting this like 60 to 90 minute range. Right. I think it's, it's so hard to tell, right? Like you could, you could weigh the option of like doing a 60 minute run and then taking a rest day versus doing like two 30 minute runs back to back. Right. And like, it'd be really interesting to see, but I don't know if we're ever going to know because <laughs> like you said, it's a compilation of like all the other yeah. work that you're doing as well. So it's like, it's interesting to think about for sure. But yeah, I know there's been some research done that over 60 minutes is like when physiologically we see these benefits occur. Um, so uh, I think the most benefits, the most, right? right? Yeah, the most. Right? It's not that they're not happening earlier. Right. It's just that, you know, as soon as that clock turns to 60, it's just magic <laughs> that happens in our body. Right. So I know we've been guilty of, oh, we were only going to run like seven or eight miles, but that brought us like 57 minutes, 58 minutes. And then it's like, oh, I got to round up to break that hour, right? To get those extra benefits. But Well, then I always wonder like if you stop to use the bathroom, but your heart rate's still (laughs) elevated. Like, you know, like what does that mean? I don't know. Or if you're at 59 minutes and then you do like a walking cool down for a minute, like are you at six? You know, there's so many ways you could like question this, but I think it's just like use it as a ballpark. Just use it as some knowledge. You don't have to like live and breathe by it, right? So um, if you guys found this useful, helpful, maybe you're looking at ways that you can like rearrange your training to figure out like what's the best way that I can become the fastest version of me, right? So a lot of these questions are usually how can I get faster? Like what can I do to my training in order to really reach my potential? Um, We love helping runners figure out what that looks like and figure out that training puzzle. So if you are interested in a free seven-day custom coaching trial, everything's 100% customized to you. You get custom training paces, mileage, all of those things, and a chance to connect and chat with a coach. You can fill out the form at www.runforprs.com and we can get started right away. So again, that's www.runforprs.com and we can get started with your free custom seven day coaching trial. So thanks for tuning in.